you are getting very, very sleepy. But it's for your own good. That's the sort of thing you will hear on Health and Happiness with Hypnosis Day, celebrated every July 25th. Yet, Charlottesville Community Engagement has no capacity to consider or capture the medical status of the hundreds of readers and listeners. Still, I'm Sean Tubbs, hopeful you're all taking care of yourself. On today's program, the latest campaign reports are in for local races, covering a three-week period in June. The State Corporation Commission is taking public comments on proposed increases to fees charged by Dominion Energy. And Albemarle County's Community Advisory Committees get a virtual briefing on the Comprehensive Plan update, as well as potential criteria to expand the growth areas. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, by now, readers and listeners know that WTJU is a great radio station for the community. But did you know that the radio station also celebrates puzzles? In fact, on Saturday, August 26th, WTJU is organizing the second annual Seaville Puzzle Hunt, a huge cerebral puzzle that will spool out across downtown Charlottesville. The Seaville Puzzle Hunt will take you and a team of friends on a wild afternoon, running around trying to untangle five diabolical large-scale puzzles inserted into the urban landscape. The opening clue will be read at 3 p.m. at the Ix Art Park. Find out more about this WTJU organized event at SeavillePuzzleHunt.com. There are 59 days until early voting begins in Virginia, and 105 days until the count begins for all of those votes. Last week, campaigns had to report their campaign activity through June 30th. That includes those who didn't win election to the ballot in the June 20th primary. There are two contested races for the Albemarle Board of Supervisors and one open seat that will likely go to the only person on the ballot unless someone mounts a write-in campaign. In the Rivanna district, incumbent Democrat B. Lepisto Kirtley faces independent challenger T.J. Fadley. A third candidate, David Rhodes, has dropped out of the race and has endorsed Fadley. This was the first finance report filed for Fadley, who raised $6,700 through June 30th, with 15 contributions over 100. One of them is a $500 contribution from Michael Johnson. Johnson ran a write-in campaign against Lepisto Kirtley in 2019 and got about a third of the vote and raised $99,336 that year. Back to this campaign. Fadley spent $4,445 during the period and ended with a balance of 2254 This reporting deadline covered activity between June 9th and June 30th. Lepisto Kirtley began that period with a starting balance of 8523 and she raised $5,500 from two donors, including one $5,000 contribution from Tiger Lily Capital, LLC. The campaign spent $2,019 during the period to have an ending balance of 11734 In the Whitehall District, Independent Brad Rickle is challenging incumbent Democrat Ann Malik. Malik only raised $75 in the period and spent no money. That leaves the campaign with $18,539 in the bank as of June 30th. Rickle began the period with $3,384 and raised $175. 
The campaign spent $1,785 in the period to have an ending balance of $1,774. Democrat Mike Pruitt is running unopposed in a bid to succeed Donna Price as the Scottsville District Representative on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors. He began the period with $4,939 and raised $1,118, including $81 in in-kind expenses. There are a total of four races for the Albemarle School Board this year, but only two of them have more than one candidate. Like the Albemarle Planning Commission, the school board has seven seats, with one person representing the entire county at large. Newcomers Meg Bryce and Allison Spillman are both seeking to replace Jono Alcaro. Bryce began the period with $27,717 on hand and raised another $5,950. The campaign spent $3,416 and had $30,251 on hand as of June 30th. Spillman started off with 9,872 on the morning of June 9th and raised $1,108, including $510 in in-kind expenses. The campaign spent a total of $1,992 and ended the period with a balance of $8,987. The other contested race is in the Whitehall District, where incumbent Rebecca Berlin faces a challenge from Joanne McDermott. Berlin was appointed to the seat last year to replace David Oberg, who resigned before completing the term. She raised no money in the period and spent $934 in the campaign to have a balance of $965. McDermott began the period with $5,204 in the bank and raised $600. Her campaign spent $3,253 to have a balance of $2,551. Incumbent Judy Lee is running unopposed in the Rivanna District and raised $461 and spent $293 to end the period with $167 in the bank. Ellen Osborne faces no challenger in her campaign for a second term to represent Sotsville on the Albemarle School Board. Osborne began with $561 in the bank on June 9th, raised $425 and spent $280. The next filing deadline is September 15, 2023, for activity between July 1st and August 31st. For those not paying attention, that's now. Every two years, the State Corporation Commission scrutinizes the rates and fees Dominion Energy Virginia charges its customers. Here's something from a press release sent out by the SEC last Friday. In the review, the SEC will analyze the company's base rates, which account for approximately half of a customer's monthly bill, as well as the terms and conditions for the provision of generation, distribution, and transmission services. As part of the process, Virginians are invited to offer comment in a variety of ways, including telephone, in person, or in writing. Dominion is seeking changes as part of the latest review. For instance, they are seeking permission to charge customers who opt out of smart meters $10.35 a month. They also want to increase the monthly customer charge from $7.58 to $9.05. Written comments can be made through November 20th through the SCC website. If you click on a link in the newsletter, it's at the bottom of a long list of other items pending before the SCC.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out. Since the pandemic, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society has expanded its programming with all sorts of talks and presentations made available online and held in person. Many of these events are on their YouTube channel. Most recently, the ACHS invited Dr. Catherine Rowe Coker to present on the prisoner of war camps that held German and Italian prisoners in Virginia during the Second World War. They lived in more than 20 camps across the state and worked on five military installations. Farmers hired POWs to pick apples. Fertilizer companies, lumber yards, and hospitals hired them as well. You can learn more about this time period and this incarceration on an hour-long presentation available in a link in the newsletter. One more segment today, and this one took far too long to get to you, but you know, it's that kind of time. Albemarle County is in the middle of a review of its comprehensive plan through a process known as AC44. The update is currently in Phase 2, and the process is intended to help prepare Albemarle for a population with significantly more people. The Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at the University of Virginia projects a 2040 population of 138,523 people, with that climbing above 155,000 10 years later. That is up from a current estimate of 115,495, estimated from July 1st, 2022. Since a countywide rezoning in 1980, Albemarle's growth management plan has permitted and encouraged development to be within roughly 5% of the county's 726 square miles. Each of these development areas have master plans, and each of those is to be overseen by an advisory body known as a Community Advisory Committee, or CAC. On July 12, 2023, Albemarle County held a virtual meeting with all of the CACs. Welcome, everyone. We're going to get started shortly here. That voice you just heard is from Serena Gray, the Public Engagement Coordinator for Albemarle County. A meeting for the comprehensive plan began with a definition of a comprehensive plan. Here's Tori Canalopoulos, a principal planner in the county's community development department. The comprehensive plan is a 20-year guiding document that describes our community's vision for the future. It includes the recreation, transportation, housing, and job opportunities we want to see. The comp plan is used to inform decisions on funding, plans and programs, capital projects, and review of certain applications. It guides where new development occurs and where public services and utilities are provided. The entire AC44 update is expected to be completed by late 2024. A major thrust of this review is to update based on direction from other approved documents, such as Housing Albemarle, the Climate Action Plan, and the Project Enable Economic Development Plan. The first phase of the plan resulted in something called the Framework for an Equitable and Resilient Community, which Canalopolis said will guide development of the goals, objectives, and action items that will end up in the finished comprehensive plan. About 650 people responded to the first public engagement of the second phase, as I reported last month. The county now seeks input on what they're calling toolkits on four specific areas. These are draft activity centers in the development areas, draft criteria for expanding the development areas, rural crossroads communities, and rural interstate interchanges. 
Let's hear more definitions on what some of those things actually mean. Activity centers are places that have a variety of businesses, services, and housing, either now or in the future, where we can gather, shop, stroll, and go to meet our daily needs. These activity centers are separated into neighborhood, town, and destination centers. These are all expected to be walkable, but vary in size. Here's County Planner Ben Holt with the next one. Crossroads communities are places in the rural area that have included a historic small-scale commercial center, typically at a road crossing, which may or may not still have active commercial uses or community gathering spaces. There are currently seven of these in the rural area. They are Advance Mills, Batesville, Covesville, Free Union, Greenwood, Profit, and Whitehall. Holt said the current zoning code does not have the tools to authorize new uses in those areas. He added there are many other potential locations that could have this designation added to serve as community hubs, mostly around existing institutions such as schools. This strategy could support more equitable access to services and amenities in the rural area. Another item discussed during the Rourke session were rural interstate interchanges, which have so far been prevented from further commercial development. Now, the final toolkit ponders what the county might consider when it's time to expand the growth area based on a review of how much has been developed over time. The 2015 comp plan estimated that about 11% of the development area's land had capacity for development or redevelopment. With the 2022 land use build-out analysis, the estimated remaining development area's land is about 7%. Participants in the virtual open house had the opportunity to enter specific rooms to choose one of these four areas to give their views. The most popular was the one on criteria for the growth area expansion. Kevin McDermott, the acting planning director in Albemarle County, oversees long-range planning and transportation. He said the growth area may need to eventually be expanded to provide more places for housing and spaces for places for people to work. The framework created in the first phase has some guidance for how to proceed. That, inc that includes identifying natural resources to protect, and those are often outside of the current development area. So we need to be conscious of that as we're looking at areas to de develop um, and establish ex expectations for development patterns so that we know what kind of land uses we're going to get in those. McDermott said factors to be considered include transportation capacity, school capacity, and access to public water and sewer. If the area is located in the water supply watershed, which was uh, one of the primary considerations when the development areas were initially developed. McDermott said there are also several examples of stale zoning where uses are allowed outside of the development area, but have not yet been built on due to a variety of factors. A big driver is the need to implement the Housing Albemarle goal of creating more housing across the county. As cost of housing goes up, we can uh, control some of those factors by allowing additional development uh, that goes beyond the current development area. And we don't want to start losing too many job opportunities in the county because we don't have way, places where businesses can come and locate and grow in the county. Another issue with the existing development area is that what ends up getting built is often much lower than what could be built under a comprehensive plan that allows for significant density if approved by the Board of Supervisors 
in a legislative action. We don't get new development that builds out to that maximum build out estimate. So oftentimes when a when a developer comes in to rezone land so they can develop it, ultimately they're not developing developing it at the 100% of what's allowed. They're developing it about uh, about 55 to 60% of what's allowed. Here is a selection of some of the conversation that happened afterwards. Planning Commissioner Lonnie Murray pushed back on the need for additional space for a growth area expansion, saying that Albemarle's development area is much larger than the total area of the city it surrounds. Charlottesville is only 10 square miles or approximately uh, 6,500 acres. Um, Albemarle's growth area is 23,680 acres or 3.5 times the size of Charlottesville. If we look at Charlottesville right now, I'd say that no one reasonably believes Charlottesville has run out of space yet. Murray said he wants to see a focus on redevelopment of existing commercial spaces. Sally Thomas served four terms on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors during an era when economic development was not encouraged by the county government. She said a reason for the development area existing has been to direct limited resources into a concentrated area in order to make provision of services more likely. To have the transportation available, for example, is much more possible when you're not stretching all out across the countryside. Um, and it's pretty well proven that additional development doesn't guarantee lower cost housing. One concern is that if the growth area is expanded prematurely, it will make it less likely that those existing commercial spaces will be redeveloped. Dick Ruffin, the chair of the Pantops Community Advisory Committee, said he wants the county to come up with incentives to encourage redevelopment of shopping centers. We already have some uh, potential commercial spaces which will not be developed. We have uh, a large um, shopping center which is very poorly developed. Uh, much better use could be made of it. There's also the question of when the growth area should expand. Mary Catherine King of the 5th and Avon Community Advisory Committee said it might take many years for the water and sewer infrastructure to be in place in areas that would need those utilities to support more intense uses. She said that's why it's important to consider the issue of expansion now. If, for example, we're going to expand even a tiny percentage into an area it, it would take or could take for the planning and the funding of just water, um, you know, up to 20 years to figure out how to get it to this new area. And so if we don't know where that is or if we don't have some criteria like we're developing today, you know, to identify where that's going to be, we're going to never have the infrastructure needed to have any type of slight increase in development area because, you know, there won't be common facilities. King said community members should be thinking several decades ahead to prepare for the future. You really kind of have to think about it of like, what do our children need? What are our, like, if I want my family to be able to live in Albemarle County affordably 40 years from now, I, I strongly believe that it's our responsibility to talk about this now. One speaker, who I've not yet identified, but I have a sense of who it might be, had this comment. 
not everyone wants to live in a condominium and and the kinds of high rise or semi high rise development it's really not aspirational housing people don't come in and and want to raise a family in a two-bedroom apartment on the fifth floor this person also said that the quality of life of existing residents in the development areas will suffer if there is a push for more density in those areas. Mary Rice said that expanding the growth area around Crozet would make it a less attractive place for people to live. One of the reasons that so many people want to live in the growth area of Crozet is because it's surrounded by rural area. And that expanding the growth area is counterintuitive because people want that, they like that hard edge of being able to just, you know, go down the road to the peach orchard. And if you if you turn the peach orchard into another development, it's going to become less attractive to people for people to move there. This conversation is going to continue. The next time to pay attention is on August 8th, when the Albemarle Planning Commission will take up the issue of those development toolkits. The third step of the second phase of the comprehensive plan process, also known as AC44, will see the release of draft goals and objectives for the comprehensive plan. Phase three will see the creation of action steps. While this stuff might seem like it's incredibly boring, it is the future of the county, and gosh, I find it interesting, and I'm glad you're listening, and you can hear my joy. We are now at the end of edition 559. Another edition complete, now on to the next one. When will that happen? Hopefully soon, there is certainly enough to write about, and one day I'll be able to put this work back as my first priority. Either way, I do thank the many new paid subscribers I have picked up in the last couple weeks, even with my downtime. There is a lot of people who want to read, or listen, about what's happening in the community, and that's why I have devoted most of my time, for the last three years, to work under the moniker of Town Crier Productions. And if you opt to become a paid subscriber to support that, you too can have a first look at property transaction summaries like the one I published yesterday. I am very reluctant to have any paywall, but I do want paid subscribers to get something for their support. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.